I'm Carson Daly, and I practically live online. It's true. Ever since the first time I heard the dial-up tone of AOL, I've been familiarizing myself with everything the World Wide Web has done to shape pop culture, from the early dot-com days to the Web3 and crypto boom. And what I've learned is that there's a not-so-secret society of entrepreneurs, influencers, and innovators who are incubating an entirely new zeitgeist, on and offline, and I can't wait for you to meet them. So tune in every Tuesday to hear my candid conversations with internet and technology trailblazers so you too can join us in leading the next digital revolution. This is The Carson Daly Show. I am so excited for you to get to know my next guest, Claire Fountain. She's a psychotherapist, yoga instructor, and writer whose honest approach to health embodies the union of authenticity, humanist theory, and everyday practice. She began teaching yoga in 2009 while continuing her studies in mindfulness and other somatic practices, but she's also built an incredible community, and I was really touched by how she seemed to establish this really solid and reciprocated sense of respect within it. It is so clear to me that she cherishes what she has built, and I think that everyone should take a few pages from her book. Needless to say, I was absolutely smitten by her. She's like the person you wish your 15-year-old self could have met. Oh, another episode highlight I want to call out was my excitement and also nervousness to ask about her experiences as a yoga instructor and also as a psychotherapist, especially because these two topics in particular have been highly industrialized in their own way and commodified as fuck, making them sometimes lose their realness. But her perspective was so refreshing and insightful. Anyways, that's all I'll say. You'll see for yourselves. Please enjoy Claire Fountain on The Carson Daly Show. Love it. London is like my, um, it's like one of my spiritual homes. New York is also one of my spiritual homes, but London for sure. Is it? I'm like, look a little bit naked in like my nude skims, but I'm here for it. It's okay. It's like mysterious and sexy. Okay. Claire, welcome to the Carson Daly Show. So excited to meet you, get to know you. First thing we need to talk about is something that I saw on your Instagram, which is sleeping in a hotel room bed when you are on a getaway break why is this the most underrated fucking getaway holiday activity like it's my favorite thing to do same same it's the best. I, think, I mean i think sleep is one of the biggest things in terms of like wellness and well-being but also yes. you're in a new place it's comfortable it's a big bed why would you not why would you not take advantage why would you not? This is like one of my, like mine and my partner's things is like when we go away, we like factor in an extra day that we just know like zero pressure to leave the hotel room, to leave the bed at all. Because there's just something like when you're at home, you never know, like, is a package going to show up and you have to run downstairs and sign for it? Is Does the dog need to be let out or the neighbor's going to like whatever it is. And you're just in a hotel room and you're like, I don't think I just have to put on the do not disturb sign and nobody's nobody's looking for me and nobody's finding me. I'm obsessed. I love it. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I put days on the trip that I'm like, this will be my do nothing, stay in the hotel room and sleep all day. Perfect. Trip. Well, now 
I love that. Now that we have this, we've got this connection. We have, I know I can trust you because we are cut from the same cloth in that regard. <laughs> we are going to get started. Okay. So tell me where are you from? Where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you going? All of it. Oh, goodness. I mean, I grew up in the American South, um, but then I spent most of my like adult years in New York and now I'm spending some time in Miami. Amazing. I love it. I was listening to uh, another podcast that you were on where you're talking a little bit about like your transition from like the South to New York. And I, as we were just talking about before we started recording, I am from Vermont. I moved to LA for a year and now I'm in the UK. And I saw something mm -hmm. on Instagram the other day that really like stuck with me. And it is this feeling mm -hmm. that when you leave from where you're from and either after a while or maybe right away for some people, you ultimately end up feeling like you don't belong there anymore. Does that like stir anything up in you? Because it definitely like stirred something up in me. Yeah, I think it's anytime we talk about kind of ideas of home and where we think we want to go, where we want to go. And maybe for some of us, home doesn't exist in an actual physical place. And mm -hmm. it changes given where we are in our life. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes there's seasons and like, what was it? I saw this on the internet. The internet is providing us with so much information lately <laughs> where someone was talking about like eras that they're in. Like I'm in my whatever era, I'm in my this era. And sometimes life has that too, where we're in our, you know, New York era. You had an LA era yes. and there's a music and a look and a style and like they can be really incapped by that. And I also thought that was a beautiful way to kind of just transition because what is it? The only constant in life is change. Yes. So allowing ourselves to change. It's really beautiful. It is beautiful. And it also like something about that, the era concept and like even bring you bringing up like my, my own LA era, like it kind of gives you permission mm -hmm. to have like freedom to change and to also not feel bad about like, because there's, there's pros and cons for every transition, every movement, like, especially I think physical change and movement in your life. Like, okay, I'm leaving LA to move to England. I'm going to lose sun or I'm going to lose this. Like my, I'm going to lose coffee bean, like whatever that looks like. But you kind of when you say like this is part of an era, it's like that kind of old adage of like, it's just a chapter like in the story. You're, you have permission to end it or also to revisit it. Yeah. And I think it's like two things come up, right? We're not really good at endings. Humans mm -hmm. aren't really good at endings, even though everything ends. School ends, job ends, relationship ends, a little more morbidly lives end, things True. end. And we can be, we can get better at accepting endings as part of it. And then, like you said, it becomes something really pretty. And then also the piece of it's nice to evolve. There's this idea. If you look back and you're not like cringed out by what you were doing, you were doing something <laughs> wrong because you should yes. want to evolve. You should want to be like, Oh God, but that's like evolution. And I think that's a really lovely. It's almost like a privilege to evolve and to grow. So true. So true. So I have to ask, like, what is, do you have a particular era that you look back on and cringe or are you like coming to terms with? <laughs> I mean, it used to be the end of my like high school career, like being a person from the South who just knew I didn't want to be there. I did not yeah. fit in. I stuck out. It just did not work. Me. And then I moved, immediately moved to New York and was like, oh, I get it. 
but also that was the year 2004. Do you remember the style in 2004? Not much, please. like the queen of low-rise jeans. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. It's all coming back into style. So now I don't cringe as much, but like I owned it. The baby doll tees. Yes. The toe rings. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, now I'm not as cringed out because I'm like, look, I'm the godmother here. Yes. Yeah. You're but, like, thank yeah, me. Thank me. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. I mm. love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're a psychotherapist, yoga instructor, writer. Tell yeah. me about your journey to find yourself in these fields, down these paths. What came first? I want to know everything. Oh, gosh. It's been, I'm very much. You know when people are like, oh, I think I can only do one thing in life. I'm like, no, you really you can do it all. You just have to kind of give it different eras. Like I lived on a farm at one point. There's lots of different things you can do. I think my journey has just always been a core, because I talk about this too with my clients sometimes. It's like there's a theme. No matter how different jobs or vocations or things can feel, there's probably a theme because you're the constant in all of them. Yes. So the theme for me has always been like wellness, thoughtfulness. And to some extent, working for myself, I don't really work well for other people. And someone asked me one time, like, oh, did you become an entrepreneur because you wanted to? And I'm like, I didn't really have a choice because I would get fired from everything. (laughs) And now I have just accepted it. It's true. I would just accept it all. And so there's those are the themes that have gone through everything. So like thoughtful living, wellness. And I love being a helper. I think falling into the influencer trade worked out really well because I love providing resources. I love being like, oh, I know a place. Oh, I have a thing. Oh, you're working with, oh, let me help. Let me give you the things I know that I feel like can help. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of been in every thing I've done. So when did you like you, I wanted to talk about this anyway, so it's coming up a bit sooner, but like the influencer kind of trade and like how that happens. When did you start to fall into that? When did you start to notice or, or when did you find that you could have this like cohesion between what you want to do, which is help people and provide resources and also utilize this tool that is social media to bring those two things together and build a platform that can be utilized in that way. It's wild because it didn't start out that way. The The first wave of kind of the influencer thing, we didn't even call them influencers. Right. It was around 2013 when I built a bit of a following. And it, it was literally the wild, wild west. No one knew what we were doing. Um, it wasn't lucrative. It got a really kind of not nice name, just like a chick on the internet, an Instagram yeah, girl. Like all it, it wasn't becoming... <laughs> Um, but now, and now it's a full career. You have people graduating from high school wanting to be professional influencers. Um, but I think the internet has always been really interesting for me because of my age, right? So I've been around internet, no internet. Um, what my college, when I was in school, undergraduate, we were one of the first schools on Facebook and then having MySpace. Oh, wow. And so I was yeah. already in the world. Cool. Like, my MySpace was myspace.com slash join my fan club. That's an iconic URL though. Like marketing God tier. Amazing. I love that. So already interested in it. And then of course, Instagram becomes this thing. And I just started posting like pictures of yoga. Like this is what I do. I'm a yoga teacher and a personal trainer at the time. I'd taken a break from writing because we all know journalism. 
is that the word? It, writing is not particularly lucrative <laughs> at different right, points. Right. Yes. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this fitness trade for a while. And it went to places that, um, you know, it's given me like a whole life. That's amazing. I also like, I wanted, so you started doing yoga, I want to say in 2009. Is that true? Is that right? Do I have my dates right? That's when I, yeah, that's when I started teaching. Teaching. Okay. How long were you doing practicing before? Oh my God. I was in high school. So the early 2000s. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, I, I want to know, like, has it been surreal to kind of see this like tsunami of like mainstream adoption and like sometimes a bit like a commodification of the practice? Like it just, even just thinking yeah. about the, the journey of yoga as like a practice and where it is, where it was then and where it is now, like, tell me about what that has been like for you. Yeah, it it really is. And I'm glad you bring that up because even my own journey of like my work, mm -hmm. if anyone has stayed with me this whole time, right, like followed my journey online, they know that I don't post yoga the way I used to. And I don't even teach the same way I used to. Mm -hmm. And I think the internet really did a disservice because it became all about body type, what your yes. body looks like, very sexualizing of something that is so, like you said, near and dear to me, right? Like this practice, I got into it because of like mental health related concerns when I was in high school. Um, it changed so much. Yoga was incredibly healing for me. So I always held it as this very sacred, beautiful, wonderful thing that I could share in my own style and in my own way. And then to watch kind of what the internet quote unquote has done to it yeah. didn't feel good. And I think that's part of why I went back to school, got another degree, like thought, how can I be even more of service to the people that I'm, I'm helping and working with? And like yoga is still an incredible part of my life. And I would course, love to yeah. continue to teach more, but it just needed to chill for a little bit. I can completely relate. Like when I got on my like journey to be like, you know, an NFT evangelist and like a web three evangelist, like I was working at a startup where we started like dipping our toes in this. And I completely fell in love with like the philosophy because to me, like I, I was a women's and gender studies major in college. Like I always under, like I, I find I've always been obsessed with the internet and with pop culture, like grew up in Vermont. I, I didn't get a, a smartphone until I was 18, which like for my like zillennial, you know, micro generation bucket, like that's pretty late. <laughs> like I didn't even have, di I had dial up internet until literally my senior year of high school. So for me, I was like, oh, here is the like coming together, this like intersection of all the things that I'm passionate about, like as a person at my core, like these philosophies are coming together to show me, like I have this vision for the future of like the internet, the future of, of self-sovereignty and autonomy and identity. And then like going so fast down that path to be like, yes, I want to pioneer this. And then just watching what happened to it by like so many people coming in and it, like gambling, like it just turned into a speculative, like gambling space that I just got so disillusioned. And like, I, I really took it personally. Like I was personally hurt mm -hmm. by like, mm -hmm. my intentions have been so good here. Why, like, why is this now veering toward this, like, very bad, these bad intended people? It was really hard. So what, you know, going, going to school or kind of like stepping away a little bit, was that part of like, bringing you back to the, like, your core love of it? And like you said, near and dear to yourself? What, how did you 
kind of separate or compartmentalize your kind of sad feelings or upset toward yoga to come back? Yeah, I think it was twofold. It wasn't so much that yoga ever changed for me, but I think a bigger conversation is like how women are treated on the internet. Yes. And that was a big part of it because that stuff is really heavy and it's just everywhere. Everything is sexualized. Even now, even in the therapy space, it's sexualized. Everything. And that stuff gets really heavy. And to some extent, you can start internalizing it. A lot of my clients now, I work with a lot of like public facing professions who end up having, you know, public, um, a public, uh, what is it called? Just like a personality that people know or a profile or, you know, they're involved in some form of their body and what they look like as part of their work. And as much as it seems like occupational, like this is just part of what I do, it can do a number on us internally. Um, So I think I was dealing with a lot of that too, where it was like, does what I have to say even matter? Why am I trying to be helpful? And so it's, I needed to take a little moment and kind of recalibrate. Yeah, that's like where I am in my journey right now. (laughs) I'm like, does anybody, but I think like for me, that's, what's so important about talking to people that are like outside of people like yourself that are outside of what I, you know, do or like the space that I'm in, but can still relate to it. Because at the end of the day, like a lot of us have the same kind of problems and a lot of the same issues. And I think there is so much healing that can be done through just, you know, acknowledging that and coming together on that. How do you, you said your clients face this, like, how do you help them kind of recenter and get back to self? Because obviously people that have these online personas or online brands, they need to sustain them. Like if you step away for a day, a week, a month, it can be detrimental and it can end your career or your path, like ruin the work you've done. So how do you help them protect themselves, but continue to maintain their livelihood? Yeah. That's also a big part. The fact that this is one of the only jobs where you really can't take time off. And if you do for any reason, right, something terrible happens, something sad happens, you need a moment, you get sick, your bottom line can suffer and then you're back building things up again. So it, it, it can be taxing on you in that sense. Like there's a lot of burnout, I think, that happens in anything internet related work um, because they expect us to be on all the time. And it's just not feasible. But in terms of keeping in touch with yourself and not letting all of this really stick to you in a way, it's twofold, right? Like we have to think about the boundaries that we have in place. How do we really protect ourselves, balance our workload? How do we prevent burnout? And then also, are there underlying stories or messages that have happened in someone's life before this that are attached Mm -hmm. to it? Because if something's not true, it won't stick to you the same way. But if you've maybe dealt with this or had a little inkling inside that like I'm shameful and wrong, which society makes women feel shamed about everything. But if we already have a storyline there and then the internet just kind of pours fuel on the fire, that's where it gets really overwhelming. And we have a larger reaction to something than we should. And that's how we kind of know this is connected to something old. So do you, with your clients and in your work with them, like, are you helping people to kind of go back in time and think about like, what are those, those earlier experiences that may be getting triggered by the internet and heal those first? Like it's a kind of chicken and the egg scenario, right? Like, what do you do? 
Yeah, it is. And this wild thing that happened. So I do I do a lot of trauma work and a lot of EMDR, which is a framework for trauma work. Um, because I always I like going to the root. I don't think band-aids really help. I know like mental health online, it's a lot of like band-aid pop culture kind of solutions, and it's not actually making people feel any better long term. They can help some, but it's not everything. So we do a lot of like getting to the root of it. And there's also this wild thing that happens when we have like a core belief that got started many, many moons ago in our lives. We will find situations that reinforce it. So if we feel shameful, we'll we'll find something who shames us. Yeah. You know, if we don't feel good enough, we find a partner who makes us not feel good enough. So it's really kind of a tough web to pull apart, but it is possible. And then you can show up in a much more authentic way. I had to do a lot of my own healing work. Like why was this stuff on the internet getting to me in a way that was disproportionate? And now that I've moved through it, it's like, oh, I can show up exactly how I want, feel completely, you know, affirmed in what I have to say, value all my own work. Like, so it's just in a different place and it feels much more mature and grounded, honestly. Yeah, I I feel that. I think like it's hard too because when you were just talking about like core beliefs, so like these core beliefs in ourselves, it's it's interesting when you think about like your kind of a core intention when it comes to like using the internet and like building a business as well because I think it's so easy to lose sight of those things. Like some people like like why mm-hmm. did we originally join Instagram? Like I originally joined Instagram because well, I you know, I don't know. I I think I got my first iPhone. All my friends, a couple of my friends were on it. I was like I can post pictures and like keep up with like the six people that I want to. I can communicate. Like it maybe at the core, mm-hmm. my core intention was communication. And then at a certain point that changed to like you know, wanting to show or present a certain side of myself or a certain version of myself. And now I find that like I'm much more like standoffish and I hesitate to kind of figure out like I don't know I want to post something but then I don't because I'm scared of what that backlash will be like how do you think like in just the years of of time that's passed like what do you think contributes to this like fluidity in like personal intention and motivation to participating in like online and digital spaces yeah that's been an interesting walk because of like even my own story of being on the internet before like influencers were a thing right or content creation was even a thing there was a big moment in time where i would always think like does this serve the work because it got where people were just posting anything so i was like does this serve the work does this serve the work now does the work change depending on what messaging is what a mission is like you said intentionality like what are we doing but it's like is what i'm posting or what i'm working through does it serve the work and i think people who don't work in this industry forget how strategic it really is it looks like a casual day in the life it's very strategic There's a way of crafting a story and crafting a narrative and crafting a brand, which is different than just, oh, this is my friend so-and-so who posts their life. And to what you were saying of like, you become scared, it's because the internet can do so much damage so quickly. And we know things can be misconstrued. So again, it's it's strategic. How are we wording something? What is the language used? What will this connect back to? And I'm in the same boat. There's a lot of things where I'm like, this needs to make sense. And I need to feel really good about this. Because if not, you're constant and you're still constantly policing comments. 
policing how something is received, it's like a full-time job to think about this stuff. 100%. And I, that may be a piece of like working on the internet that people don't know if they don't work on it. Definitely. And I think also what you, what gets lost as you kind of grow that platform, which is like, it's hard because you grow your platform and you're like, this is amazing. Like it, it can result in more opportunity, like a more lucrative, more financial freedom, all of that. Like it's a marker of success, but at the same time, you kind of lose like that initial community feeling of like, like the other day. So I've got some, some landscapers here, like me and my partner, are, like totally ripping out our whole deck. And I, we have just like a pit of our backyard right now. And I wanted to snap a pic and put it on my Instagram story. And I was just like, who am I sharing this with? Like, I'm not like my friends that I've already texted and told them and like sent them the pictures of my mom. I've already showed her the picture. Like, I don't, I, who am I sharing this with? Like, I think, I think that there's like a loss of that true sense of community. Like, is that anything that you can speak to? Like, how have you seen your community change? Like, how do you identify what your community actually is versus like your follower count? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if I think about them in terms of like follower count and maybe because I didn't come into it like trying yeah. to build a following. Right. Um, but I do think community is a really big piece of it and creating a space where people feel safe to, I, they share a lot with me, which I'm always really honored yeah. that people trust me with their stories or bits of their lives. And I've always made like a distinction around what is private. It's this idea of having three lives. And I've said this for years and I feel like someone said this recently, but I'm saying this for years. Like three <laughs> Godmother. Lives. You know, there's like a public <laughs> life like the internet, there's a private life that's like your friends and your family, right? Like you said, I, I sent my mom a picture. And then there's kind of like a secret life, like what you're doing at three o'clock in the morning, what your browser history is, what you think about when no one's listening to you. It's these, these lives exist. And I've, I'm really protective of my private life. Yeah. And so that allows me to have a lane where it's like, this is what I share publicly. And I am incredibly open in that way but I keep my private life very private. And so that has helped me be like, this is my community and this is what they know. And to some extent, because we are kind of the, the leaders of our community, we can say, this is what I am and I'm not sharing. And I think my audience already knows these are things Claire doesn't talk about, like my, her private life. But there's lots of things that she will share. You ask me a question, I'll answer it. You ask me where something's from, I don't gatekeep. I will, I will share. So I think Go having off, like yes. kind of really distinct places helps. Yeah. Definitely. Why do they gatekeep so much now? I don't know why. Like if somebody is like, well, I, just I will know where your bikinis from. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like you've already posted it online. Like just tell me. Like especially now, like Google Lens, like AI stuff. Like okay, either I'm just gonna take a screenshot. And I'm going to go and put it into like the Google lens and figure out where it's from. Or you have an opportunity to like make me like feel seen or heard because you just replied to me like, like why? I don't get it. It's so weird. Just tag the outfit. Like, yes, exactly. you look great. But I'd love to know where you got your skirt from. Like, why do exactly. they not tag them? I get so frustrated. People are like, no free publicity. It's like... 
if you're not gonna get like either you're gonna get paid for it or you're not how about the fact that like you can create some some data and some analytics around like tagging the skirt and then seeing what happens like just op open yourself up to those opportunities like just do it just tell me where the fucking skirt's from please I so know. funny so funny okay tell me about so i am a highly therapized woman i have no like no shame admitting i love it i have done emdr and i also it's so interesting that my the therapist that i had that was administering my emdr was also a yoga instructor she was my yoga instructor so we had so i would go to therapy we would do emdr and then i would go to i would take one of her classes um, for people who don't know, please explain what EMDR is. Okay. Eye movement desensitization reprocessing, I think. Um, but yeah, it goes by EMDR and it's a form, it's like a trauma reprocessing where you use bilateral stimulation, whether it's fingers tapping, watching a light go back and forth, listening to music that goes from ear to ear. So bilateral stimulation as a way to reprocess traumatic memories and ideally store them in a more optimal way so that they're not as um, triggering and emotionally activating. Okay. Fabulous. Amazing explanation. So where, like when we are talking about, when we're talking about like experiences that are happening and maybe triggers that are happening in online environments and we're using, maybe potentially we're going to use EMDR to try to, you know, w what would we be doing? Would we be trying to like resolve that trigger or like silence it like what are what's the correct terminology here and how how would that work yeah. for somebody yeah it's more so this idea of integrating previous experiences and meanings that don't really fit right like this idea of like i'm not good enough or i'm shameful it's not real, but it still feels very real in our bodies, right? It's the difference between thinking and feeling, right? Like people go, I know I'm good enough, but I don't feel like I'm good enough. Yes, and yes. every time someone, I don't know, we're gonna, it's very sensory oriented, a lot of trauma related stuff. So every time somebody raises their voice at me or says a certain word, I get this kind of like my heart races and I get really sweaty and I get tense and I feel like just so overwhelmed. And like, it's just a comment. Why would it do that? And that's when we start kind of floating back and thinking about where did it really come from? Like, when did this belief that doesn't serve us and doesn't really fit and isn't true, where did it get kind of stuck in our lives? And we want to move through and see if we can unstick it a bit. And then it that's can be thing. just a word that comes in or someone can say something and you're like, oh, okay. Like my whole self isn't, it's like a tidal wave of emotion. It's more like just a little wave, a little wave kind of hits your, your ankles and you're like, oh, okay versus being just taken out by it is a bit of the difference. Interesting. So just when you brought up, like, I'm not trying to um, get a free therapy session here, but I think it's worth like telling <laughs> yeah. people about like something that I experienced, yeah. especially because you brought up sensory overload. And I think when we think about screens and digital like environments and online things, like we tend to just think about social media, but like something for me personally, I have to watch the television with closed captions on, like with subtitles on. And I get really, I get super elevated, like my, and very triggered easily if 
a program that I'm watching doesn't have a, like an option for subtitles and because I have a hard time like listening and knowing what's happening, really hearing it. And then if my partner starts talking to me when I'm watching TV and the subtitles are on, it's fine because I can kind of listen and passively read. But when we don't have the subtitles on and he tries to talk to me and I'm trying to listen, I have like sensory overload and I get so triggered. So like what, like, I just wanted to share that, like what is like an immediate, like, response or kind of like thought to that to what I'm going through and how would we recover it of it yeah I don't think there's anything wrong with decreasing like stimulus like things coming in especially with the internet now we have so many we're on our phones all the time we have a million different tabs open so many different things are happening even content has gotten very short very succinct very very small and our brains go really quickly and it's okay to be like this is overwhelming for me i don't like compound sounds either right like if the door is open the tv's on someone's talking i can't do it i'm like this is too much and it's okay to take some of them away it's okay to be like we're going to silence this while we're talking yes. and i think well, even being in tune it. with our own bodies <laughs> Yeah, being in tune with our own bodies is being able to say, mm, okay, this doesn't feel good. Let me notice. Yes. So that's a huge part of even what I do with clients is like we work on noticing, noticing what's happening in our bodies, noticing what we need and like actually listening to it because our bodies will tell us. I mean, and they do like when you start to get sweaty or like increased heart rate or whatever, like, you know, like my my system like the alarm bells the little men or people inside of me that like work my system are like starting to press buttons here and i need to relax so i where does like our online our participation in our our engagement with like where does our digital presence and our digital footprint and identity kind of fit in with like this what i'll call like no disrespect, but I'll call like the holy trinity of mindfulness of like mind, body and spirit. Like where does online fit in there and how can we make it fit in like the healthiest possible way? Yeah, this is interesting. I did a panel once like is social media addicting and like what do we do to counteract that? And I think when we think about how can we incorporate something like the internet and our digital presence into mind, body, spirit, there's a way that it can be a really amazing thing in terms of building community, connecting to like-minded people, feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling like we can share, um, learning things. I think we learn a lot from the internet. We learn a lot from the totally. communities that we're in in terms of you know wellness practices, things we hadn't thought about, things we didn't even know. So I think we also get to decide what our experience on the internet is like. Silence people we don't really get along with. Don't go on apps that are maybe pushing a lot of um, like almost like trauma porn, things that make us feel worse, not better. You know, we have the ability to do that. We can also put our phones down. Um, I think it's important to also foster in real life relationships. You know, maybe we met online in a group, but let's try to really figure out how we can all see each other in person and then really dedicate our time to one another and our attention to one another while we're there. Um, we don't have to take pictures of everything. Can we be present? 
So I think there's kind of this back and forth of like using it for the really good parts and good pieces. Like I love my community. I love my followers. They're, they inspire me so much and I do learn a lot from them as well. But also it can't be, we can't be on our phones like all day long. No, we literally can't. We can't. And I think like it's something that I'm starting to, I'm more aware of in myself and because I have like my partner has a son who's four. So I have a four-year-old stepson mm -hmm. and just seeing the way that he engages with and interacts with screens, phones, TVs, tablets, it helps me to be more self-aware of like my own engagement in it and interaction. It's, I mean, and it's really hard to put the phone down, but the first step in, in having a problem is like to admit that you have a problem, problem obviously. And I think I think that like quarantine and COVID, like being in lockdown, probably like that probably propelled us like very far, like it exaggerated and, and like, what is the word just like going from zero to a hundred of our, like our reliance on technology and on screens, like, because we were really forced, like we didn't have anything else to do or any other ways to communicate. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And kind of what do you see the the kind of downfall or the repercussions of that we're now having to heal? On the one side, it was really good that we had technology to be able to see one another, to be able to communicate, to engage in a way that was safe given the circumstances that were happening over the whole world at the time. Right. But on the other side, I think it's like we were talking about even with like, um, like moving locations, right? Like what have I lost and what have I gained? Yeah. It's very similar. Like, yes, what have we lost and what have we gained? I think we gained, you know, what is important? Who do I actually want to keep in touch with? Oh my God, relationships require effort and intentionality. We have to plan a time to talk. We have to really sit and talk to each other because we can't just conveniently run into each other anymore. So right. I think it taught us a lot about that and a lot about ourselves because we were stuck with ourselves for a year or two or three there. And then on the other side, there's a lot of loneliness. And I think it became really apparent that people do need each other. They need community. They need connection. We need to be able to engage with one another. Absolutely. And I think it's that last bit is like what I definitely for myself and I hope that a lot of people like carried in and when we were able to open the world back up and come back together, that we have more, like you said, intentionality, that we have a more gratefulness and appreciation for the people that we do see in the time that we do get to spend in person. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Yeah. I have noticed a lot on your page, a lot of coverage about sex positivity, something I've talked to a lot of people about, in particular people on the podcast, but I always like to ask like what is sex positivity to you can you help us define it from you know in your terms in your worlds from your perspective yeah i mean sex is the most human natural thing it's very much a piece of us and a part of us so sex positivity just means the opposite of sex negativity so there's no shame there's no stigma I don't pathologize it, right? It comes up a lot in the work that I do around yeah, I bet. like body image and being a woman and sexism, et cetera. Yeah, totally. What are some of the ways that digital environments hurt and help promote sexual positivity? 
oh, this is like, this is like pulling one string and it's connected to almost everything. Like it's, again, it's just, what have we lost? What have we gained, right? Like there's incredible communities that are making sex positive education accessible because so many people don't even have access to sex ed or quality sex ed at all. And then on the other side, there's just like a huge like bastardization of like sex and bodies and women and like all the bad messages get way louder. Um, it, it's, it can be really damaging. And then there's also moments where it can be really positive. And the scary part is some of the really positive, powerful, good sex, positive education messages are being silenced because of all the legal things that go on with um, censorship on these platforms. 100%. I think like this is is something like there's these messages that are like deeply ingrained into like the fabric of society and then they get in turn like ingrained into the policies of these platforms that just continue to perpetuate shame in women. And like that is what is so that is just like angers me and it upsets me and obviously it hurts me as well. Like as a woman, it's just yeah, it's it is like incredibly hard to confront. That's why I'm like we pull one string. We need we'd need five more podcasts about this. We can come and do a whole series. <laughs> I would love would be, that. It's so many yeah I would love that how like what types of exercises or advice do you give to people both in your practice as a as a therapist in your you know community and what you you post on social media and the resources that you provide to people what types of like exercises and and thought prompts can you give to people that help to like promote sex positivity and like positive self-image and just to be well in yourself and feel good about yourself. Oh, goodness. Oh, I don't even know where to start with that because it's like twofold. It's the pieces of exploring our beliefs and like, why do I even think the things I think? Why do I have the reactions I have to certain things? And then also, how do I want to feel? And how can I do practices and exercises and engage in a way that helps me feel the way that I do want to feel? There's a lot of learning and unlearning that goes on. hundred percent. Definitely. Do you think there's a conversation to be had about like the paradigms and like the juxtaposition mm -hmm. of like, of like empowerment and liberation versus like objectification when it comes to like digital landscapes and especially from like the perspective of like self and like how you post yourself and how you present yourself. And then also from what you see other people post and other people presenting themselves. Yeah. I mean, we can't ever know anybody's full story. Right. And that's something I also had to think about, right? Like uh, how women engage online or how men engage online. We don't ever know the whole story of anybody's journey with themselves, with their body, et cetera. But I do think there's, you have to decide what is my own kind of feeling around this and intention and can I stand with this and do I feel good about it? Um, and then we go from there. One thing that like I've, I brought up a couple with a couple of people like on the show and also in like my outside life is that these statistics that like young adults today, specifically people in like the Gen Z category are having 
like way less sex, like no sex at all. Like, have you heard about this? Like, what is your like initial kind of response reaction to, to learning this? Does it surprise you? Does it surprise me? You know, this is, I don't keep up as much with kind of the science behind it. I know there's actually some really good like sex therapists and researchers that are on the forefront of this side of the conversation. But I, you know, it doesn't actually surprise me that much. I worry a lot about how the internet has affected our ability to have social skills in terms of how to really engage with people. And we might be losing that when we've taken everything online. It's becoming maybe more difficult for people to even know how to engage with one another. And then to really understand like sex is also an extension of like intimacy with oneself. And I don't mean intimacy, like sexual, physical, I mean, intimacy, like into me, you see, like knowing yourself and being able to share that in like a vulnerable way. So I think when we, to some extent, damage the relationship we have with self and the relationship we have with other people, it becomes really hard to then engage in a sexual way. Yes, 100%. I think like you mentioned social skills. And I think like part of I mean, sex doesn't always require like, I'm not going to be the person that's like, Oh, you have to have like a connection with somebody to have sex with them because you don't. But I think that if we're already like, if you're having, if we're struggling to have basic, like, connection, like social connection with people, then it it doesn't surprise me either that we are that people are then not able to extend that to a physical connection, a physical social connection or a spiritual connection or physical sexual connection. Yeah. I mean, even the most casual of sex is still a relationship. You're still engaging with another person. You're bringing all your stories. They're bringing all their stories. And sex is one of the most vulnerable things we can do in the sense of it's not just talking. It's like, how are we in our bodies? It's a sharing of space. It's a sharing of our literal physical space with one another. So then we add in kind of, I would be interested in the access of body image and all the things that are happening Mm. with, you know, growing up on the internet, seeing all these images all the time, starting way younger with not feeling okay in our bodies or how we look or all these pieces come into then how we engage with one another in this way. Totally. Well, if we go back to our initial like conversation about eras, like when I think about my era of like Instagram girly, like first time, like Instagram just starting to use like my first 20 grid posts era and like the age I was and how I dressed and did my hair and my makeup and what I looked like. You know, I when I see people post online that are like today that are in that same age group that I was then, I feel massively insecure from a like from the perspective of a past self. Like I'm thinking like here I am a whole ass grown woman now and all of a sudden I'm brought back to like being 16 and being like, okay, this was me at 16. Now this is them at 16 and like just feeling like I can't remedy those feelings. Like it's so challenging. It's, 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 it's awful. It's confusing as fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really wild. There's not like an awkward adolescent phase anymore. No, no, it's you gone. Why are, 12, why are 12 year olds doing contour? Why are, tw- no, I was I literally, 
as soon as you said 12, I thought contour, like seriously, like it's, I don't get it. Like you don't have cheekbones, babe. Like not like that. You don't, I love you. You're just so just be cute. Like I can't, it's, and again, it, it's the same side. Like there's a good and bad, a pro and a con positive, negative, whatever to what the internet has to offer because it's like democratization of information and resources. So like makeup tutorials for somebody like me, like, look at me, like, look at my, I'm like, yes, I did it. I've done it. I've, I've completed the mission. I watched my YouTube videos, but the same on the same, like on the other side of that, I'm like, but that doesn't mean that I want my 12 year old friend or daughter or cousin sister to have that information because I didn't have it when I was 12. Like it's just complicated, isn't it? It is. It really is. And it's, again, it's what have we lost and what have we gained? And I think kind of constantly having that conversation is what's going to help us be okay through all of this, right? Like turning a blind eye and just thinking it's all okay isn't helping anyone as we're seeing, right? I mean, there's also, we mentioned studies about like not having as much sex, but also they're really unhappy. There's a lot of depression, a lot of loneliness, a lot of mental health related concerns that have come on the other side of like being children of the internet. Totally. I can see it. So the last thing that I want to cover, and then we'll have one more true last thing, but the last thing I want to cover. So we talked a little bit about the like mainstream tsunami adoption of yoga and like what that, how that felt for you and kind of what your experience is. Well, I read a, I read a, I think it was in bustle, like an article about like how therapy speak is like taking over our lives in our world and like everything is about like my boundaries or like it doesn't serve me or whatever Mm -hmm. so now you're you're in now another field that is kind of like where the core kind of theory and practice like the the pillars of this this industry this world is also now being contorted to serve people in other ways like what is your response to that what are your feelings toward that Mm. I I read one time. So as much as I'm on the internet, I am also a consumer of the internet. And I read one time, I'll have to send you this article. It was like fashion bloggers are pivoting to anxiety. Anxiety was now the trend. And so it's like, I've watched mental health, not only mental health speak and therapy speak become really big, but over the last maybe five or six years, pivoting to mental health was like a trend. We're just going to pivot oh to, God. I have a mental health issue and now I'm a professional. Now I'm a, now I'm a guru of mental health. And I'm like, no, oh my not. <laughs> I get worried because I think about not wanting to do harm. You know exactly what I'm talking about too. Yeah. Not wanting to do harm. And I think there is power in sharing a story and saying me too, you're not alone, but it's not good when that becomes the like, well, now I'm a professional and I'm going to give you advice because anyone in yes. the therapy world knows that's not. That's not what we do. We are good witnesses and mirrors and we're very much trained to do this work, but we don't have a prescriptive one size fits all for anything, right? Everybody's story is different. Everybody's meaning made is different. So you can't just give blanket advice about it. And yet it sounds good. It looks good. Um, A lot of the psycho babble that gets tossed around is making people seem more like they know what they're talking about than they do. And the person who suffers is the person at home who's just consuming this content, wanting to feel a little better, not realizing that it can actually do a lot of damage. 
because it's not from a professional. I, you know, I've, I've also been very vocal about like trusting who you listen to on the internet. It's okay to love an influencer and to be like, I love their story and I like the tips they share, but let's remember that it's just like a person, a person, it's just a person. It's like a friend, somebody, a friend who's got some experiences they can share when we really want to do the work, quote unquote, it's important to have a professional. It's important to go to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I know it gets real blurry because things packaged really well on the internet, but it, it's true. Branding can make us it think something true. that it isn't, right? Totally. So it's important to read, like, do they have training? What are they really talking about? We can enjoy and appreciate content without thinking it is gospel. Um, and in terms of therapy speak, yeah, we've been using it all sorts of different ways. I mean, I'm so glad people are kind of opening their eyes to the importance of mental health and mental health care, but that also means, hey, you can't just do all this. And I think people do it for a reason. It's hard to really feel things and intellectualizing all of it can help us feel like we have a grasp on it. Like if I can explain all this, if I can explain why my ex was an asshole, I don't have to feel how much it hurt. Exactly. Um, so like, we read all these emotionally books. unavailable. Yes, yes, yes. Are the, the he was a narcissist. It's very <laughs> popular right now. Emotionally unavailable narcissist. Continue, please, about the back to the books because the oh, books are so probably cool. part of the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, and a lot of these books are written as I would say like clinical books. They're good for professionals who practice in the field. Yeah, they're not written to be kind of like the the self help book that people yes. think. Yes, yes. Um, and knowing the difference is really important. Hundred percent. I think it it also kind of goes back to what we were talking about about like social skills and like you did mention like kind of people want to feel something so they're like oh i'm going to attach to this like even in my own experience like i said i'm high i have been highly therapized since age 15 like sometimes especially early on in my relationship like with my partner a lot of times i would be like okay and show up and be like i this i feel this way because of this and then and he's like just fuck what the fuck are you talking about like just can we just like be humans like you're using this like you've like path you've like pathologized what just happened about like an argument over like who was meant to put the dishes away or whatever <laughs> like can we just communicate together as people like it doesn't have to be and then it gets to a point where i think it becomes a threat to the other person and like you've actually then closed off because you're like i'm I'm using this therapy speak or these big terms or big words to kind of like, you know, maybe unintentionally belittle you or come across as condescending where like we haven't even then gotten to the core and to the root of it. Like it's, it requires, I think everything that we do could use a bit more like intentionality. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And it's one thing like having skills is great understanding oneself is great understanding how and why we do things is great and then it swings back into this place of like real world application and uh, that's where i think we need to get definitely okay so before we go i just wanted to ask you because i love i've loved this conversation thank you so much i have noticed that you often post like a poem prompt or a journal prompt something that helps people start to think, okay, what would be like a good prompt, like a good everyday prompt or a takeaway for today 
that you can leave us with that we can go out and work on in the world? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think journaling is incredibly powerful. That would be in my top tips if I had to say, like, what are my takeaways to live maybe more optimally and to feel better? Journaling, having an okay relationship with yourself is a big one. And people go, well, I don't know what to journal about. And my favorite is like the 333 method. Okay. Where you list three things you're grateful for, three things you like about yourself. And if it's at the beginning of the day, three things that would make today great. And if it's at the end of the day, three things that like I enjoyed about today, like we're more I reflective. That. And that just love gives it. you a framework to kind of think, oh, I can think about myself. I can think about the world and I can reflect on how my day went. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. That was a gem. You are a gem. This has been such a great conversation. Um, let people know where to follow you, where to learn more, find more of you, because I know everybody's going to want more because you're amazing. Thank you. You can find me on the internet. So really <laughs> fitting that we talked about it. You can find me on the internet. You can look up Claire Fountain. You can look up CB Quality. That's a whole other story about how I got stuck with my Instagram handle and now it has just become my life. Um, we can talk about many more Wait, things. I need but yeah, to coming know out, that. CB Quality, I answered Yes. <laughs> it was a long story. There's like legal involved. It's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, come hang out at CB Quality on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, yeah, I'm always around for questions and discussions. Well, thank you so, so, so much for the time. You've been amazing and I'll see you soon. The Carson Daily Show is an essential media production. Please follow this show wherever you listen to podcasts, rate me five stars, share it with your friends and foes and DM me any questions you have. You can find and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carson Daily and the show's dedicated Instagram at The Carson Daily Show. 